What is up, everyone? I hope you're doing amazing, staying healthy and active. I hope you're moving in a positive direction, even if it's just a little at a time. My name is Michael O'Dell, and this is the Right Path Podcast, episode three of My Road to Recovery. You can follow me on Facebook at Michael O'Dell or Instagram at Comeback Odell. Hopefully, you've tuned in to the first two episodes and you're following along with me on my journey. I want to start this one off with gratitude. Um, This morning, I am extremely thankful and grateful for my faith, my family, and my freedom. So take a second and just think of something you're grateful for and start to practice this uh, in your daily routines. Like we can often, like we go to sleep with the anxieties and the worries and the troubles of today, right? And we can often wake up with those same anxieties, troubles, concerns, worries that we went to sleep with, right? And we bring them into the next day. And although there is, there are tasks and situations that no doubt will follow us into the next day, the next week, the next month, right? Until they're resolved. But we don't have to start our day off worried and anxious and and just wondering what this day is going to bring, right? We can start our day off with gratitude. I'm grateful for my faith, my family, and my freedom. So take a second, think about what you're grateful for, and we'll continue on throughout this episode. So through this series on recovery, I have shared some pretty difficult narratives with you, um, some narratives in regards to my childhood, my military experience, um, <clears throat> Some some narratives in regards to my addiction, the pain and the suffering that I've gone through, some the, the the depression, the feelings of disgust and worthlessness, right? All all very very difficult to discuss, but and and they can be very difficult for anybody to discuss, but it's crucial. If you want any type of forward progress, you got to be able to come to terms with your situation, accept that it's just what happened and move forward. You have to be able to to discuss these things if you want any progress, any forward progress. Now again, this is going back to the basics of recovery in the 12 steps, right? Sharing your story, your experience, uh, your strength, your hope in a better life, a stronger future, right? It's all back to, it, it all turns to the 12 steps, to the 12 steps. You can apply these 12, you don't have to be struggling with alcohol or drugs to apply these 12 steps in your life. Go through them, check it out, start to apply some of these, these, these principles and these, these steps in your life and see what happens. Now, before we jump in to the next very difficult and troubling time of my life, I want to share a verse of scripture with you. Um, it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Verses 8, pretty much 8 and 9. So verse 8 says, Concerning this thing I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Now before I read verse 9, I want to tell you, you should go check out 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and you'll understand a little bit about what's going on here. But the Apostle Paul, before he became a Christian, he was a persecutor of the faith. He was a persecutor of the Christians. He had Christians murdered. He was a bad guy, right? He was a bad guy. And he became a Christian. The Lord changed his life. And he became one of the biggest, if not biggest, advocates 
for Christians in this time in the biggest writer of the new some of the New Testament letters in the Bible. So he's asking the Lord, he he the Bible says he had this thorn in his flesh, his side, right? And it was constant. It was constantly there. It wasn't going away. Now, this wasn't a regular this wasn't like a real thorn, okay? I think it was his past. Now, the Bible doesn't say what this thorn represented. It doesn't say what it meant, right? I think it was his past. Maybe that's just because I can relate with him to a pretty troubling past. Not sure. But it makes sense. Because the next verse says, after, after Paul says, concerning this thing, which is the thorn in his side, what I'm referring to as his past, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. The Lord says to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. When I think about that, I think about the Lord's strength is made perfect in weakness. And I think, well, I'm weak. I've been weak. There's areas in my life that are weak. But the Lord's strength is made perfect in those areas of my life. So how do we flip the script? Right? The Lord says His grace is sufficient for you. Why? Because He's showered you with grace and forgiveness for the things that you've done. Now it's time to flip the script and move forward and to use your past. The Lord is telling Paul right here, no, it's part of your testimony. This is part of your testimony. My past is part of my testimony. Without my past, I have no testimony. And without my testimony, I have no story. And without having a story to share with you, how am I supposed to... I, I, have no, I have no grounds to stand on when I, when I go to talk to somebody about addiction or about alcohol abuse or about depression or about PTSD or about wanting to kill yourself or about wanting to not live anymore. Like, I have no grounds to stand on if I have no testimony. So testimony is crucial, extremely crucial to producing positive change in your life and the lives of people around you. So last episode, we left off with my final arrest, right? The final straw was pulled. Uh, if you don't remember, if you did tune in to the last episode and you don't remember, what happened was, so I had been going to jail every weekend. Thursday, I'd turn myself in Thursday. I'd stay there Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night. I'd be released Sunday. I'd go to work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I'd turn myself in Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I'd be released Sunday, go to work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Oh, and, and I'd work Thursday and turn myself in Thursday night. So I worked Monday through Thursday. I did this for a long time. And so I got this arrest before all this stuff happened. But I hadn't been indicted for it yet. So this year I'm going to jail, 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 trying to do what's right. I, I'm not entirely sober, but I wasn't using at the capacity that I was prior to this. You know, and so I I get to jail on a Thursday night. I stay there for my week, and I get released Sunday. And I know I have court. I thought it was Tuesday, so I get released Sunday. No one at the jail, none of the jailers, no one, and it's not their job. But no one told me I had court Monday. Um, the indictment said I had court Monday, but we wrote down Tuesday. My mom wrote it down. We all wrote it down. 
My dad brings me to court Tuesday morning, drops me off. I walk in, there's a trial going on. And one of the one of the bailiffs asked me, like, are you Mr. Odell? And I said, yes, sir. He said, you had court yesterday. You weren't here for your felony indictment. And I was like, whoa, no, I have court today, man. He said, no, you don't have court today. There's a trial today. He said, I need you to go into that office over there and, and talk to that lady. And I was like, oh, crap. So I go into this office and I ask her, you know, I, I told her what happened. I asked her if I had a warrant. They said, not yet. The judge hasn't processed a warrant. And I was like, okay, thank you. So I called my dad. My dad came and picked me up. I went home. Um, I was home Wednesday. And Thursday, I went and turned myself back in, like my normal routine. Turned myself in Thursday. Friday morning, I woke up with three unbondable indictments. Heart sunk, right? Heart sunk. Woke up with three unbondable indictments and that you know like there's nothing you can do when you got an unbondable when it when it says when it says on there one million dollar bond there's a chance even though it's not attainable there's a chance right even though no one in my family would ever think about coming up with 10 percent of that to bond me out even if they wanted to we couldn't do it but the point is there's a chance. When your indictments say no bond in capital, bold, underlined letters, there might have even been an exclamation mark at the end of it. Just a special little special little uh, add-in for me. Uh, no bond, period, whatsoever. Not happening. So I'm sitting in segregation like, oh my goodness, it's over. I'm done now. Well... So life goes on in county jail and, you know, I'm sitting there, I come to terms with it, but I don't think I'm going to prison. I think, you know, after a couple months, they'll, they'll realize it was just, you know, it's just a mistake. I don't miss court on purpose. It was an accident, right? They'll release me. We'll go through this process. Hopefully I'll get my probation reinstated and, you know, be good to go, right? All unicorns and rainbows. That's not what happened. So a couple months had gone by and I hadn't, seen my son in a while and this is this is very difficult to uh talk about but my parents came up to see me and uh they brought my son and i I don't know i've probably never been to county jail before but visitation they're not contact visits um it's behind the glass just like you see on tv and my son, he was uh, man, one and a half years old, maybe not even that. And they brought my, they came up there to visit me, and it brought so much joy to my heart to see my son. And he was smiling, and uh, I, my mom was trying to put the phone to his ear so he could hear me and talk to me. And he didn't like the phone. He wanted, he wanted me. He didn't want my voice. He wanted me. And, um, so the way the room was set up is like the bottom half, probably like four foot down to the ground is concrete. And then above that is the glass. Well, my son, he, he was crying to get down on my mom's lap. And so she let him down and he went on this journey trying to find a hole in the, in the concrete to get over to where I was at. 
and he couldn't do it. And there was nothing I could do to help him. Absolutely nothing. My son didn't want to hear my voice. He didn't want to see me through glass. He didn't want to see a picture of me. He wanted me to hold him, and I couldn't. And so I, you know, I, he was, he was crying and screaming. It it got pretty bad. And so I asked my parents to leave, you know, I was super thankful they were there, but it was just, it was just too much. It's just too much. And so, you know, life goes on. I go to court eventually, um, and they want to give me eight years. They want to send me to prison for eight years. And I thought, golly, man, eight years, dude, that's a long time. This is like, I know I'm in trouble, but this is a long time. I don't deserve to go to prison for eight years. And, you know, that's what it was. So I go back to my cell and through this time in Kanaji, I was reading my Bible. I was trying to become a better person. I was trying to build my relationship with God. And, uh, you know, I went back to my cell and I was praying and I, I asked the Lord, you know, it's like, you know, God, Jesus, Father, if basically, I don't remember the whole prayer, but my request, I remember my request and my request was a three-year sentence in TDC as opposed to the eight-year sentence the judge wanted to offer me. I thought that was a fair request. And... You know, 30 days later, we go back to court. And the funny thing happens. We go before the judge, and I'm nervous. I'm, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. And the judge says, You know, Mr. Odell, are you ready to go to prison for three years? And my heart sunk, and then it was filled with joy, and then it sunk again, and it was filled with joy, and all these different emotions flooded through me because I was super, super thankful and grateful that the Lord heard my prayer and answered, and then I was super mad at myself for not asking for more, right? <laughs> right? Like, like, why didn't I ask for the minimum? <laughs> if the Lord's going to answer my prayer, I should ask for the minimum. But we can often get get stuck in those kind of mindsets, right? Like, not being grateful for what we've been given. We get what we ask for and then we're, it's not enough. Right? We we want to get sober and then we get sober but it's not enough. Oh, but my life's not that good though. I'm sober but I'm not happy. We we want to be happy but we're not sober. We we want we want a better job but the job doesn't make us happy. We want to make more money but we're not we're, but we're not ready to put in the work to get the job to make that more money. Like we we oftentimes can get what we're asking for, but it's it's not everything we need or what we think we need. So we're we're not we're not grateful. That's why I practice that that what am I grateful for? What am I grateful for? What am I grateful for? It's important. So anyway, I signed on three years, right? I can't go to trial for this charge. I'm guilty. Evading arrest in a motor vehicle and I was the only one in the motor vehicle. I can't I can't take that to trial. 
I'm guilty. I was, who, who else am I going to blame it on, right? Ain't no, there's no one else in the car. So I sign on three years. I go back to my, my cell. I call my family. I, I let them know. And I feel good about it. You know, hey, I signed on three years. I'll be going to prison. I love you. You don't need to bring Tristan to come see me again. I'm prepared for this. I'm ready to go. And about three to three weeks to four weeks later, I go to prison. And what's interesting about this, like my life has just taken such a huge turn. It's so remarkable. And I'm excited to get into some other different episodes with you um, in regards to that. But somebody I consider a good friend and brother now um, is actually the one that transported me from Bandera County Jail to Bear County Jail, where I put my disgusting uniform on to got to get on that Bluebird the bus and uh, and go to TDC down South Texas. And anyway, so uh, we can jump into that, right? So when I got to TDC, I was extremely nervous scared fearful it's the unknown right we're always scared of the unknown that's what i think a lot of people struggle with in early sobriety is the unknown like how do i how do i how do i actually live and not use how do i have fun with my friends how do i socialize without alcohol like Look, you can be you can be extremely social and funny and charismatic and charming without any alcohol. I like to think I do a decent job at it. I don't know. But uh, you know, it's possible. Like it you don't have to have alcohol to have a good time. But it's the unknown. It's the unknown that worries people. And so I go to prison in the unknown and I was scared. Right? So we get there you got to strip down naked. You're wearing these disgusting clothes. The pe- Nobody there wants to be there. You're in this environment like just everybody's there. Everybody there is innocent. So you, like, it's just so, so dark and so horrible. It is. Prison's horrible. Don't ever go. Don't ever try to go. If you're breaking the law, then you're trying to go to prison. You should stop. It's stupid. Prison sucks. Anyway. So we get there, and I didn't know this, but they got these like little bird cages for people, right? Like they got four beds in it, a toilet, no shower, um, and they call them the bird cages. I thought that was prison, right? We get there, and that's what they put me in. I thought this was prison. I was like, oh my gosh, dude, I can't do three years in this. This is absolutely ridiculous. I had no, I'd never been to prison before. So I'm thinking this is what life was going to be. It was just a little transition building I was there for like a week they'd bring chow to you like like you're like you're some kind of just menace to society I don't know maybe I was a menace to society I don't know anyway um it's just a horrible experience so I finally get to my dorm uh in in prison and you know prison everybody in prison is is ready to fight and I don't think it's because they're bad people. I don't think it's because they like to fight. I Some people maybe like to fight. I think most people don't like to fight. But that environment puts you in that fight or flight mode. 
right? And you're not able to flight anywhere. You're stuck in a room with 50 to 80 other men that are all fearful. So they they buddy up with other people of like-minded beliefs or just like-mindedness in general. We'll leave it at that. And these little cliques begin to form. And then that's how these gangs start in prison. And I was like, I refused. For those of you that don't know me, my life, I have always gone 110% into anything I'm doing. Like anything. Anything. 110%. Baseball. uh, You know, uh, Marine Corps. Deployment. Training. Martial arts. Uh, what is just 110% balls to the wall. I'm about it. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to be about it. I'm not going to be fake. I'm not going to be pretend. I'm not going to say I do something and then just do it one day a week. Like I'm going to do it. Like I'm doing CrossFit right now. I'm about it. I'm living that life. I love it. I'm doing CrossFit. It's amazing. You should try it. So everybody that knew me before I went to prison knew that about me and they were scared because I was about this life before I went to prison, this, this life of drugs, trying to sell drugs, trying to trying to, uh, I don't know, make a name for myself. Whatever I was trying to do, I was, I was being about that life. And so everybody, a lot of people thought I was going to be about that life in the penitentiary. And I think I might have thought that too. Um, but the Lord really changed my heart, man. He, he changed, golly, he changed. He touched my heart, touched my heart. Uh, it's, a, it's something that you can't explain. It's a peace that you can't understand. Like, just amazing. And so, so I get to prison. Everybody back home is probably thinking I'm going to come out this tattooed, crazy, gang-banging, about-that-life type dude if I ever got out of prison, right? Because you can get it, you can go to prison and then never get out. Depends on what happens in prison. Anything can happen in prison, right? You could be defending yourself and catching a murder charge. It's that serious. So I was pretty nervous about all that. Right? I'm not a small dude. I can defend myself. I can't defend myself against six, seven people. We know that. If you if if you listen to I think my first episode, well, I got jumped by about five or six people and ended up in intensive care. So can't hold my own against five or six people. One or two, sure. So anyway, that's the environment, right? That's why people are in that fight mode in that environment, because it's the unknown. You don't know what someone else is going to do and you don't know what they're there for. So this whole time I'm nervous, I'm scared, but I'm praying to God. I'm, I'm realizing I need to work a recovery program while I'm here. I have to work a recovery program while I'm here or when I get out of here, I'm not going to have a strong foundation in recovery and I'm going to relapse and I'm going to go back to my old ways and life is going to, this two years is going to be, two or three years is going to be in vain, right? And the reason I said two years is because that's pretty much what happened. I, I, I got out uh, on parole. So I start reading my Bible. I start reading my big book, um, Alcoholics Anonymous. And this guy comes up to me and he's like, hey man, you, you want to you read, read the Bible together? And I was like, oh yes, dude, let's do it, man. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for some positivity in this dark environment, right? And so this this kind of lifestyle goes on, you know. I it's a routine in prison. It's a difficult routine. Um, talk about social distancing and isolation, stay at home orders. Like, 
I got used to that. I think uh, I, this really hasn't been too hard for me. So, um, but we started doing Bible studies. We started Monday through Saturday. We were doing Bible studies, and I was putting these le- these lessons together, and I was falling in love with Jesus. And I like in in the midst of this dark dark place, this prison, this place of chains and bondage. Like I was feeling free, and like that's hard to explain. It's probably hard for you to understand. I was feeling more free in that environment than I had felt almost my entire life, especially after things started, I started to struggle. Like like when I was a kid, life was good when I was a kid. But like when I started to struggle from that point up until prison, like I hadn't felt free. And it's because I wasn't free. I was chained to depression. I was chained to alcohol abuse. I was chained to trying to change the way I was feeling and instead of processing the way I was feeling and finding the solution. So now I'm in this place that's supposed to bring, right, like supposed to be this horrible place and it was, but I was free. I was free. And and let me tell you something. Who the Lord sets free is free indeed regardless of their circumstances regardless of your situation you are free if the lord has set you free the lord has set me free i feel free and i felt free when i was in prison in the most confined structure structured confined isolated place probably in the united states the penitentiary, I was freer than I had ever been in my life. And that is by the grace of God and the love of Jesus, I was free. So I began to teach Bible studies, right? We're doing these Bible studies, these lessons. I'm working a 12-step program. I'm sponsoring some people in our dorm. And what happened was the, the guards saw what they saw was a little click forming and it was, it was a bunch of people trying to change their life. They didn't like it. So they broke us all up, moved me to a different dorm. Now I'm in this really, really uh, a bad dorm. I'm in a bad dorm fights all the time. Dudes making alcohol, selling drugs. I mean, having sex. It was a bad, bad dorm. And I'm like, Oh crap. You're not going to, why, why did this happen? I start processing these things like, Lord, why did this happen to me? Things were going good. I was feeling free. Why am I now in this situation again? And I feel like it was just a test. It was just a test. It was preparing me for the real world. Letting me know that although you are free, situations will come up where you may not feel that you're free, but I'm with you. I'm there for you. So I started to do what I knew how to do best. Read my Bible start trying to talk to some people, helping some people out. And we started having Bible studies and I met a really good friend I'm still friends with today. Amazing guy. Um, He's got a long time to go. He's got a long time to go. He loves the Lord. He loves recovery. He's he's doing good. And uh, I hope he gets out soon. But he's not going to though. It's going to be a long time. Uh, so, so that's, so prison, prison for me was, uh, freedom and it was Bible college and it was big book boot camp and it was 
recovery 101 and then like you know pre-med like it was it was awesome i studied so hard when i was in prison yeah i just said that it was awesome it was life-changing awesome so i finally made parole okay time had gone by i made parole some one of the stipulations for parole was that i um I have to wear an ankle monitor, so my family had to get a landline hooked up at their house. So they were working on that. Some things happened with parole. Well, I left my unit, and I went to Huntsville to be released on parole. Sat there for a week. They didn't release me. Uh, I went through the whole process. They almost handed me my civilian clothes that they get from the Goodwill for everybody getting released. And then come to find out, nope, you can't go home today. Everybody else got to go home today. But of course, not me. Another test. What is this test? Let's go through it. I end up getting pumped back into the TDC system and sent over to a very odd unit. Um, it was a protective custody unit for transgender offenders. Yeah. So the reason they sent me there was because I was back in the system and I wasn't supposed to be and they didn't know where to send me so they sent me to an open bed. I didn't know that. I didn't know that's how they operated. I thought they denied my parole and this was going to be my new unit. I mean, there was dudes walking around there. The TDC uniform is white. Okay, They would dye it pink with Kool-Aid and cut, cut underwears and bras and hair ties. It was ridiculous. And I'm sitting there. Now I'm like, okay, this is a, this has got to be a joke. Like, like, and I start thinking like all these little tests I've gone through. Like, what is the Lord trying to work in me now? What am I? What kind? Of, what am I supposed to do? How do I pass this test? What do I do? Well, uh, nobody in that dorm wanted to hear about Jesus at all. Period. They didn't like that. So I just kind of stayed isolated and stayed in my cell and prayed and prayed and prayed and went through the motions. And about a month later, I caught chain. I went from there, went back to Huntsville, got released. My parents were there. Oh, it was amazing. Amazing drive home from Houston. Amazing drive home, drive home from Houston. Um, and one of the cool things, so I want to in closing, I want to talk about a few things. The first three months after I got out of prison, what happened, and then that'll pretty much conclude the episode, and we'll jump into some fun, some fun stuff in the future. Um, right before I caught chain to make parole, I got a letter from a friend of mine with a business card, and it said, "When you get out of prison, I don't know when that's going to be, but give me a call. I'll put you to work." He had no idea. This first letter I got from him, he had no idea when I was getting out, and I got that letter the last day I was literally able to get mail. Blessing. It was a blessing. Got out of prison, started working. Um, and he did some work up at the CrossFit gym here in our town. So after work, we'd go up to this 430 class in CrossFit. And I started getting into CrossFit. And the owner of this organization that I work for now um, was bringing some of the warriors up there for treatment or for, for CrossFit. And, uh, that's how I met him. And he heard my story, 
heard that I was in recovery, heard that I've been to prison, heard that I've pretty much gone through quite a bit of stuff in my life, and I was a veteran, all these things. Um, I ended up getting a position for this for their organization, uh, doing what I do best, answering crisis calls, sharing my story, talking to people about addiction, depression, recovery. All these things that I've gone through in my life, I'm now able to use to help other people in their life. And it's not by coincidence that all these things started to fall into place. Once you start going on the right path, you will see that things will work out in your favor, but not just for you, to also benefit others. Life is about giving, not not. Not money. If you got money to give, give it. Cool. But life is about giving, giving time, giving your experience, sharing your story, creating relationships with people, creating friendships, creating bonds with people, creating a positive, healthy environment, a, a positive community. Right. That's what. That's what life is about. That's what. That's what we do. That's what we crave. So. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey. I appreciate all of you that have listened. I hope that at some capacity this has touched your life or touched the lives of people around you if you've been able to share it with them or share what you've heard and maybe it kind of maybe it resonated with somebody. I don't know. I certainly hope so though. So thank you so much for tuning in and joining me on this journey. This is the end of the road for this series, but this is not the end of the road for my recovery. So don't worry. There's going to be plenty more to talk about as the weeks go by. I'm going to continue to record and share with you. I've got, look, I've got a ton of stories that I just can't wait to share. Okay. So we're going to wait a week though. I can't wait to share them, but we're going to wait a week. So again, thank you all for tuning in and I'll see you next time.